0: This is the
1: Jeff Merrick Show
0: on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Hey, Greg Wyszynski from ESPN. You want to hear something?
0: Please. I, I always want to hear something from you. Is it about the 1959 Sarnia Sting? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I just referred to the Minnesota Wild as the Minnesota North Stars. So my aging gracefully continues. <laughs> That's fine.
0: It, it, I, I, you know, it's at least it's a, it's a, it's a recent team. You know, it's it's not like you uh, refer to them as the Vancouver the Vancouver Millionaires or something, right? I mean, that could be worse.
1: Yes. Yes. No, I know. Very good. So the uh, the aging gracefully continues. How are you today, my friend? We got some uh, some big news this morning. Jacques Martin has returned to the Ottawa Senators in a (laughs) consulting capacity. And as Steve Steos tells us, this is no different than when they brought in Matt Nickel. It's the same exact thing. Uh, Don't imply anything. No conspiracy theories, please. Everything remains the same. Just please let us get through this season. And thank you, DJ Smith, for beating the Rangers last night.
0: Yeah, I, I, the thing I loved about that this morning was the thing was Bruce Garriac uh, tweeted a photo of Jacques Martin at the press conference, and it was like Jacques Martin happy to be back with the Senators. And then the photo it, it's like, it, it's Jacques Martin, he looks like a sad duck. You know, it was just like the most beautiful juxtaposition between uh, between the comportment of somebody and the uh, alleged enthusiasm of somebody. I don't know. I I, I find it interesting that that Smith has lasted as long as he has, considering all of the other upheaval uh, with the Ottawa Senators. But again, you know, it, it comes back to this basic question, which is that would a coaching change make any difference there? And I know that that's a big trope for you and Elliot when you talk about this kind of thing is the idea of like. Um, you know, do you have somebody that's going to be an improvement in the, in, in the position Would a coaching change even matter, mm-hmm. uh, when you are dealing with like the Thomas Shabbat injury situation, when you're dealing with right. the fact that, uh, Anton Forsberg, who was one of the most dependable goalies in, in the world last year is actually playing worse yeah. than Jonas Carposalo in, uh, analytically this year. Like, will it make a difference if they even make a coaching change?
1: Uh, well, that's why they brought in the old St. Lawrence University goaltender, Jacques Martin. Thank you very much. There is my dated <laughs> reference from the 70s. Yes, Jacques Martin was indeed a goalie. T- to me, the whole thing is is all about timing with the Ottawa Senators. And when Andlauer was finally given the keys to the team all of a sudden the timeline had to be calm. Like, right away, I don't think that they had any plans to dismiss Pierre Dorian when they did. I think the plan all along was for Dorian and DJ Smith to survive the season. But after the Dodonov situation happened and the subsequent punishment... Okay, like that was the end of the road and they made that move. Now what I think is, you know, Steve Steyos here is trying to make sure that everything around the coaching position is as calm as possible because he doesn't want to make a move there knowing that a general manager is on the horizon and he would like that general manager to bring in his own staff. They just need to get there and there might not be until the end of the season. So, bringing in Jacques Martin maybe calms things down a little bit but the thing that I keep coming back to and I thought about this the minute I saw the news this morning, what's going through DJ Smith's head here like you just beat the Rangers and this is what I wake up to Jacques yeah. Martin is in. And then, you know, the idea that, again, you have to think about these things politically. Steve Steos brings in Jacques Martin. Right? So again, Steve Steos brings in Jacques Martin just as a consultant. So if, if the, the, the newly hired uh, consultant Jacques Martin, a legend in Ottawa, uh, disagrees fundamentally with something that DJ Smith is doing and brings that up to DJ Smith, what goes through DJ Smith's mind? Is he still his own man, his own coach? Does he continue to do things his way? Or does he have to politically default to Jacques Martin and do things his way?
0: Recent results don't mean anything. Remember when Jay Woodcroft beat the Seattle Kraken in a game that I think Chris Knobloch watched on the flight? headed to Edmonton to take the job the next yeah, I day. Know. I mean, it, it doesn't yeah. matter what you do. So I, no, I think that's a that's a reasonable point. But again, the thing I come back to is like Thomas Chabot's played nine games. Both of your goaltenders have been yep. disappointing and it was supposed to be, I thought, one of the better tandems on paper in the Eastern Conference. I mean, especially with the way that Forsberg played last year. Uh, the, the Pinto situation was obviously something that they didn't know was going to come down the pike at all. Uh, and, and losing him has been hugely impactful. So Look, every coach that gets fired, there's there's mitigating circumstances and things you could point to and say, well, if this was different and this was different, but I kind of I kind of feel bad for DJ, DJ Smith, who, you know, I, I certainly had at the the top of my list of potentially firings before the season, but it just feels like that this Ottawa team couldn't really get off the runway based on on some of the factors they had to deal with so early on in the season, um, and so if he if he goes in season, I I don't I don't know what it'll end up doing. But I certainly think that, you know, once they uh, figure out what they're doing at the top of the organization, this will probably be his last season in Ottawa. And by the way, I love how you're like with the new general manager. I still think there's about a 65 percent chance that Steve Steyos pulls a Dick Cheney or a Kyle Dubas. And, oh, look, the best candidate ended up being Steve Steyos.
1: No, I think I, I, I honestly I, I, I still believe that uh, that their wish list, number one, is in Tampa. If I'm throwing a dart, I'm still saying Matthew Darsh, and I know that we've seen oh, man- we've, seen, a we've seen assistant general managers leave and see. Yeah, he's gonna. Uh, we've seen general managers leave mid or AGMs leave mid season, uh, but I-, I just don't know that Tampa would allow that to happen. But I, I, I think everything sort of gets revealed towards the end of the season. I, I still believe that ultimately, you know, if you say, like, okay, give me a name, the name that I'll, I'll spit out is Matthew Darsh. Otherwise, if they had what? another name, someone who wasn't employed, wouldn't they be GM by now?
0: Why don't you think Chiarelli's gotten a job again? Was, was the Edmonton thing that bad that it just sort of, sort of, like, subverted everything he did in Boston?
1: You know what? I, I, I think this is true of a lot of Canadian teams like working in Canada uh either as a coach or as a manager uh A is hard and B like everybody sees everything like you can't hide any mistakes everything gets blown up like there there there's no such thing as a small move by a Canadian hockey team there's there like that doesn't exist so i think that mistakes obviously get magnified like it's to the point now where like i know that ken holland has a number of detractors right in that market you know specifically with with, with edmondson to the point where i mean there are open conversations online about well it's a good thing he got into the hall of fame when he did because if he had this oilers mess on his resume <laughs> there's no chance he'd make it into the hockey hall of fame <laughs> like it's hard man and it's harsh yeah. when you're a manager in Canada you know why cuz this country has 40 million general managers that's what this country has greg everybody <laughs> is a general manager in the, in this country them, so it it's really few, difficult that all your all your mistakes get magnified
0: and a few of them with microphones i do like the idea of the uh a revocation <laughs> of, of Hall of Fame enshrinement being on the table for general managers and managers that don't succeed in Canada. It's pretty great.
1: <laughs> uh, well, play, hang on. Players Players have to retire. Why don't I like, – I've never – under. I mean, I guess I, I, guess I kind of get it, but you know, I've, I've always found it a little bit weird that we'll put general managers in the Hockey Hall of Fame before their careers are done, like before yeah. you have a look at the entirety of their work. And are there some things that can undo greatness? Of course there are absolutely i mean you know a cynical person will say well he of course he's going into the hockey hall of fame look at number 13 look at number 40 and look at number five of course he's going to go into the hockey hall of fame when he ran that out every night right right i don't know
0: yeah it's like it's like putting a player in you know when he's like a a plus 40 career and then he goes and ends up being a minus two for his career and you're like what have we done (laughs) (laughs)
1: what were we thinking (laughs) yeah Anyway, the, the Ottawa situation is, uh, is interesting. Here's another, here's another gripe that I have. Okay, I'm going to do old man here oh. today. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. Um, how does Rick Tockett and <laughs> Lindy Ruff not put the Hughes brothers on the ice for the opening draw yesterday?
0: I saw you, I saw you complaining about that, and I completely agree. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't really make any sense. They, there, is, there needs to be a certain amount of showmanship in this game. And like that's a perfect yeah. moment for it. it. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have changed much. You put them on, you take them off. Who cares? Like first dump in, you could change your line. But yeah, it, it's it's an historic moment. It's an important moment for uh, for for hockey uh, in particular, American hockey. Although the majority of American hockey fans couldn't watch the game yesterday because it was on an NHL Network. And uh, to not have that moment was a little bit silly. I felt.
1: Yeah, my my favorite part in this, and listen, all three Hughes kids were great. Um, Luke with a blast, um, Jack with one plus two, two assists for Quinn Hughes. Like they they all contributed in a very very beautifully sloppy hockey game uh, with a beautiful six to five score that harkens back to nineteen eighty seven. Wonderfully sloppy game. My favorite part of the entire game, wish the cutaways to Jim and Ellen
0: the parents <laughs> who
1: had the dog face the whole team so they couldn't because they couldn't cheer for Vancouver and they couldn't <laughs> cheer for New Jersey. They couldn't be seen doing it so they just you know sat there nicely, crossed their arms and refused to cheer for either side, just kind of doing statue practice in the audience. That was my favorite. I, like I I love like when, when it was Kachuk v. Kachuk in that Florida-Ottawa game a couple of weeks ago, and they kept doing cutaways to Grandma Kachuk, who was horrified at what her grandchildren are doing on the ice, wondering if police are going to come out with handcuffs for both of them. <laughs> uh, I did appreciate those visuals. But the, the cutaways to the, the Hughes mom and dad, the, the Hughes family, I thought was special <laughs> last night, because they, they could not cheer for either side to be showing any favoritism. Well done, Mom and Dad.
0: Look, I know that they, they have to like, humor Quinn, but the Devils have more Hughes. So if they wanted to go to the game last night and <laughs> drew for the Devils, I think we would have been fine with it. There are more Hughes's on the Devils but they're than in, the Canucks. But... And frankly, if, if it, it, quit, quit, it was Quinn's decision to sign long-term with Vancouver. He could have united the Triforce with right. his two brothers in New Jersey. He decided to stay out there on the other coast, make it awfully difficult for his mom and dad to watch all these games all the time. So from that perspective, sure, they should be kicked (laughs) in black and red last night. My favorite Uh, moment of that game by far, Jack Jack Hughes is a really smart player, really extraordinarily skilled and a a natural uh, puck handling wizard. But he's also a really smart player. That moment last night where he's chasing the puck into the corner and Tyler Tyler Myers is going for the puck. And not only does Jack decide, I'm not going to get crushed by this chaos giraffe. I'm going to go and stand a few feet away knowing that it's Tyler Myers and knowing that there will undoubtedly be a turnover. He gets the turnover, whips it right to wallet in <laughs> front know. of the net for the goal. It was such a brilliant play. I love that moment. It,
1: but didn't Myers pass him the puck essentially though? Like it was weird. I remember watching well, like, did Myers just sort of like backhand the pass to, 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 to Jack Hughes to Foley was in on the four check with him too. and And people have been saying,
0: well, I mean, Jack obviously is just avoiding contact, but I'm like, but no, he's, he's just standing there. Like, he's, he, he didn't go anywhere after, after not going to the corner. He just stood there with the knowledge that the puck would probably get to him anyway, and it did. And, and it was, you know, listen, any Canuck fan is going to tell you that Tyler Myers makes that kind of play three or four times a game. It was just funny to see Jack kind of anticipate it happening. Like, what's was the last time you saw somebody just be like, I know this guy is going to screw up, so I'm just going to wait for the, the apple to fall from the tree? This <laughs> is tremendously fun to watch that last.
1: <laughs> okay. Night. So, I, I I just got a text. Uh I just got a text, let's just say I I just got a text from a media member. I always okay. come up shy about giving people's names out. Is just say media member. I never know whether people want their names out. I just got a text from a media member saying Jimmy, Jim Hughes, father of the Hughes boys. Jimmy texted me before the game and said he was cheering for overtime. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. By I the way, the, go- the, the goat, and I mean
0: it. goat in the traditional sense of the person who wears the horns and is the opposite of the hero mm-hmm. uh, in that game mm-hmm. was, was Sam. Wasn't that Sam Lafferty last night? How? Don't tip the puck. Don't tip the puck. Let Quinn get the goal <laughs> so they could all have goals in the same game. What are you doing? Second time since the, like the yeah. Stasnys, right? It was the other one that, it, that the other time it happened. Like, what are you doing tipping that puck? Let Quinn score the goal.
1: Uh I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that with GOAT. <laughs> Can I go on a little pet peeve rant a little bit? I don't know it's been grumpy the last couple of days. I don't know why. You know what else no. uh, has completely changed? Like GOAT once upon a time was like the person was responsible for a, a major mess up. They <laughs> wear yeah. the coat horns on this one. Now it's greatest of all time as we know. Um, stakeholder. Because now we believe, we use stakeholder in sports all the time. Stakeholder is like oh, it means like essentially you have, you, have a, you have a horse in the race, or you have uh, an interest in something. The origins of stakeholder is it's a neutral third party that holds the stake. There's a dispute over something, say it's a bag of money. There enters a third party that holds the stake until that gets settled. The stakeholder has nothing to do with the event. They just hold the purse. But so we you your stakeholders so, like that... you have some interest in it.
0: The origins of stakeholder, which, by the way, I always assumed was Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer, because she held the stakes. Uh, <laughs> I, you're telling me that it's not somebody who buys a stake in a in a team or a franchise or a business, <laughs> and therefore has a stake and in holds it. it. And well, I mean, no, I'm being honest. Like, I thought a stakeholder was like something like like if I invest in a company, I become a stakeholder in that company. Yeah. Whatever happens to the company. No. Uh, I will no. I will feel I will succeed or no. fail based on, no. on, on you're telling me that Not it was true. a third party that would hold on correct. to correct that holds the stake. Whatever was at stake and then yep. and then they'd figure it out.
1: Yep. And then once it yeah, once it's, know it's figured out the stakeholder reward rewards that side with the stake or the purse or whatever it is. That's what a yeah. stakeholder is. Stakeholder has nothing to do with the actual event or the thing that's in dispute. It stays at arm's length. That's what the origins of stakeholder is. Now it's been lazily inferred that somehow they have something to do with it. Anyway, that's my grump of the day. Well, I, just, I just love the idea. You know I what I was on about of, this morning? Of, hold
0: hold, hold on. on. I love the idea of Jeff Merrick sitting in his study, you know, wearing his robe, beat up on the <laughs> desk, reading the Wall Street, <laughs> Street <laughs> Journal and, 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 and raising his fist in the air saying, they've gotten stakeholder wrong again. How dare they? <laughs>
1: I was just talking to Mendez about how much I hate the term "going forward." Well, here's what we're going to do going forward, what as opposed to backwards. Who's going backwards in life? Oh, um, yeah, I was Which, on with Halford and Bruff this you morning. Wake you know up, I brought up, did you
0: wake up and decide? Oh, did you wake up to decide decide you're going to be George Carlin today, just like railing against the English language?
1: <laughs> me, me versus the language. Um, no, you know what I was talking. I think you'll like this. Uh, you know what I was yeah, talking please. to Halford and Bruff in Vancouver about this morning. What I brought, I brought What's up that? the the ultimate. Because we're we're talking about Christmas songs and Christmas movies and everything. And if you want to be the ultimate Christmas hipster, okay, like the, uh, oh, well, you haven't lived until you've seen blank. Had a conversation about Emma Otter's drug Bad Christmas this morning on the radio.
0: Now we're talking. Now we're talking. This is a formative thing for you and I. Uh, Back in the day when HBO was a a thing, uh, HBO would have... You know, it, it had sort of a pipeline of Jim Henson stuff. That Fraggle Rock for mm-hmm. a long time, which I loved as a kid, yep. and We're Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas was another uh, J- uh, Jim the Henson best. production. Yeah. And uh, the in, enduring reference to Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas for me and my family was uh, "There Ain't No Hole in the Wash Tub" was always the reference point Same. for Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. <laughs>
1: And if you want to be the hipster, the cri- hipster around the Christmas tree this year, bring up Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. By the way, do you know how many hipsters it takes to change a light bulb, Wish? How many. Uh, it's kind of a rare number. You've probably never heard of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Christmas tradition in my house, of course, is the Santa Claus Conquers the Martians yeah. episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. An actual movie from the 1960s in which Santa Claus is in fact... Uh, conquered by Martians, uh, he, uh, he kidnapped mm. by them, and uh, they take him to, uh, to Mars, and uh, it's the an actual thing that occurred. Pia Zadora is in the movie, so we can completely date ourselves oh. with another pop culture reference. Um, uh, what
1: did you, can, yeah.
0: I, can I ask you a question? I, I need to get this on my chest. So the Board of Governors thing yesterday, sure. uh, yep. salary cap, putting the draft in the sphere, which must be very exciting for you as someone who covers the draft— uh, the potential to see Jeff Merrick's uh, face on the outside of the sphere greatly oh increases uh, wow. with the draft being Ooh. there.
1: That'll be exciting. The, the... I want Elliot's face on that. Oh, <laughs> <hate>. <laughs> It'll be there.
0: Uh, what, did, the, what did you? Here's make Elliot, of this here, hang on.
1: Here's 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 Elliot, and here's the size of his ego. His face oh, oh. on the sphere. Oh, Rude, Glorious. Rude. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, what did Sorry, you make of all this, this
0: sudden concern about the um, the state of, of arena construction in Italy? What did you make of that?
1: I always look at this as if this is a negotiation between the NHL and the Players Association, and the NHL always tries to position very publicly all the reasons why they shouldn't go in order to be put in a advantageous negotiating position with their friends across the aisle, with the NHL Players Association, that's how I. That's how I always look at the Olympics. This is a uh, a conversation and negotiation between the NHL and the PA. And I always say to myself, "Wish the worst thing the players can do is what they've been doing, and that is essentially begging to go." Yeah, because well, look at it. Well, that's what guys that's want, them in this fans, want the fans want this bad. Wanted, yeah. Fans want Badly. this. Fans oh, want yeah. it and players want it. But if you're gonna but if you're if you're a player and you wanna play poker with this one and not have to concede anything in a negotiation, play it off like you couldn't care. You don't care. Maybe we go, maybe we don't, whatever. I'm just playing hockey. Instead we have players essentially begging, begging to be allowed to go. And if you're the NHL, you're saying, okay, uh, what are the concessions you're going to give us for us allowing you to go? Because I still think it's in the NHL's best interest to allow their players to go and perform on the international stage because of how important international hockey is for the NHL. See, most recently, the Global Series in Sweden. I I, I, I don't understand the mentality of NHLPA and all their members publicly begging to go or reinforcing that we have to go, we have to go. Fans already want it. NHL already knows that you want to go. Why do this publicly over and over again? I think the NHL always plays this right, and they always point out all the reasons why they shouldn't go, and it just like, completely upsets the Players Association.
0: I, I, well, I can't I think, stand I, the way think, the
1: players do it, because it's just a bad negotiating position.
0: Well, the, the bad negotiating position already happened, which was that they got it written into the CBA that they were going to go to Beijing and go to Italy, and then put the caveat in there, as long as the terms and conditions are okay with the IOC and the NHLPA yeah, and the NHL. yeah, like they, they allowed the NHL the wiggle room to, the, to then do this thing where, oh, well, our regular season was interrupted by COVID. We can't go. Oh, uh, we're concerned about yep. the timeline of, of a construction project in Italy. So I don't know. Maybe we won't go. Like, we're worried about the we, – we can, we can build a rink in Dodger Stadium and play there two weeks later, but God forbid if we can't get a look at that arena eight weeks before the Olympics start. Uh,
1: you no, know what it's like? Your point. Hang on. You know, what, yeah. you know what it's like for me? One of the things that I can't stand in, when I go to a concert, Encores. Just the band leaving the stage, making the fans beg for it. Beg for us to come back. No, cheer louder. Just play your set and get off. That's what this Mm -hmm. seems like. You have to raise the concern. Oh, we're not sure about the arena. Oh, we're not sure about the relationship with the IOC. Oh, we're not sure we're going to be able to put this one together. It's just (laughs) right into the players'
0: but it's no, it's as much about the, IOC they play it well players. Like they're playing, they're playing it because now they have safety concerns with their players. They're still trying to squeeze insurance money out of the IOC. There's definitely an, an aspect of that as well. I mean, it, it, it in a, in a, in the most like gentle reading of Bettman's comments yesterday, it may just be like, you know, Hey, uh, maybe stop building things. Like maybe it was like a, a signal to Italy to get <laughs> on your horse a little bit more because we're watching and Hey, wouldn't it be yeah. nice if you had this arena done? Um, but again, uh, I, I, the reaction to it from the hockey world, I think, was also pretty, uh, pretty apparent. Which is that you know this just felt like the next thing, the next excuse, the next reason not to go. And, and won't it be hilarious when the NHL is like, we're, we can't send our players because the arena we just we couldn't test the ice, and yet every woman's player in the world will be playing on the same ice in the same arena, not giving a second thought to the concern that the NHL currently has about constructing their
1: arenas. What? And, and we've seen plenty of um, outdoor games with questionable ice at various dude, times. They,
0: dude, they were, so, they were still the, – the paint was drying on UBS Arena when the Islanders <laughs> played there six weeks into the season because yeah. it wasn't ready to play in yet. I mean, look, yeah. I, it, I, I don't, look I'm not going to fall for – because you're right. At the end of the day, it's all a negotiating ploy. It's all a thing that we're all going to get up in arms about that will probably be fine. You know they're they're using it for 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 posturing for the NHLPA and the IOC. I get it, but I mean like it's just one of those things where you know you think about the dartboard of ideas, the dartboard of excuses, uh, the jumping to conclusions, Matt, and like which square you're going to land on for why you're not going to go to Italy and to land on. We we haven't gotten eyes on what the boards look like in the arena yet. It's just like come on, this can't this can't, this can't be the one you settled <laughs> on. <laughs>
1: Hey, here's here's something. So um, you mentioned the other the women will go out there and they'll play on whatever whatever sheet because they're like they're they're committed to winning gold medals. Um, You saw the uh, the PWHL at the Utica preseason camp and what they're, quote-unquote, experimenting with. And I, I have a feeling they're going to use this because I think they want, I think they want this, league's that, this league to have the premium on goals. You and I used to talk about this all the time with the old, on the old podcast. Two-minute majors and no mm-hmm. icing during the penalty kill. Let's go. Thoughts? Let's
0: go. Love it. Love it. We should be a two-minute major NHL right now, and we should have it to be the same sort of thing where if you – you're, you're incentivized to score a shorthanded goal to end the two minute major, and you're incentivized to score as many oh, power play music, goals as possible. Music, music,
1: music to my ears. Yeah. Music to oh my, my ears. Music to It'd my ears. It'd be so ears. beautiful. It's beyond time, um,
0: especially with, with the premium on offense. Uh, now, I, I, think, I can't wait for the women's league to start. I think it's going to be tremendous. I remain. Yeah. Eternally bummed that they couldn't figure out the branding of the teams before the season starts. I still think that it's just like, look, maybe by year two, it's a distant memory because they have some real uh, amazing, memorable names and and brand identities, and we're all very excited yeah. about the Toronto whatevers. But like, from a, for, you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? And and to me, like to jump off, especially when you think about the I... the, the ubiquity of the Pride, the ubiquity of the Riveters, like some of the names that the uh, former league uh, PH, the PHF had out there uh, that were so good. Mm-hmm. It's so memorable immediately. It's just is such a bummer to see you know the best women's players in the world skate out with a city name draped across their, their, their jerseys diagonally like they're the Rangers.
1: I understand that. A couple of things. One, um, if it came down to a choice between what they have right now without the logos and the names or not playing... What would you have chosen? Okay, so
0: not playing <laughs> would have also given them a chance <laughs> to lay down more groundwork <laughs> for a media rights <meteorites laughs> deal. Uh, it would have it would have given them more runway for a lot of things. Um, but but that but look, but you know how, you know this, you, but, but it wasn't a I choice this because the, the players wanted to play like that. The, the league has said the reason that they are not going with names and logos is because the players wanted to play. So it's a moot point as to whether or not delaying this for another, you know, until next fall would have made more sense because the players wanted to play. It's their league, and and you have to acquiesce to the best players in the world who want to play. I get that.
1: If you go back to the beginnings of the NHL... Well, first of all, all i start right. with the backstabbing of Eddie Livingston, Toronto uh, owner of the NHA, the National Hockey Association, which were the forerunners of the NHL. They, didn't like, they did not like Eddie. So essentially all the other owners stabbed him in the back and started a new league. Eddie was left there <laughs> with the NHA and him. Uh, so the, the league started on a double cross is essentially what I'm saying. Mm. And the first year, the plans were five teams. And then one team couldn't play. And then another team's rink burnt down, and they decided (laughs) to stop playing. They finished with three teams. Okay? So that's the beginning of the NHL. Now, the other big, huge flashpoint moment for the NHL was 1967, where six turned into 12. You know who the original owners of the St. Louis Blues were? Who? Nobody! Nobody! Mm. They just wanted the market. They awarded a franchise without an owner, and there was wow. a problem with the roof at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Flyers had to go play elsewhere: uh, Ottawa, Quebec City, Toronto. Like, uh, no league is perfect when it starts. Like, I understand your argument, but if you look historically, even just look at the NHL, which you know wrongly this will be compared to, um, the NHL has been a history of mistakes. That's what the NHL has been. So I look at what's happening with the PWHL and I say to myself, so what? It doesn't really matter that much. The NHL survived everything and continues to endure as a league. And if you're not going to watch the new league because they don't have a logo, then you probably weren't going to watch to begin with. And this has just given you a convenient reason to take a cheap shot at it. No. That's what I think.
0: I I don't think anyone's not going to watch because the the New York team doesn't have a name. I think they might not watch because the New York team's playing in Connecticut. Um but I but I do think that when you are trying to create a bond with the fans that will watch these games, having brand identity and having a logo and having having something you can proudly wear to I, an NHL game to the mall, <laughs> like like that's what I'm saying. It's like you're trying to build a league, you're trying it. to build a brand. I, I, it's not ideal. When I, when I saw I, when I was walking when I was in New York, and and I remember distinctly being at like a mall in North Jersey and seeing somebody with a Riveter sweatshirt and being like, "That is dope. That is another Riveters fan. Yeah. We 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 are legion. Like it it really helps with it all. Like it's cool that they have a really cool." logo for the league which by the way to me is very reminiscent of the Whalen Yatani logo from the alien movies for some reason uh but the Hmm. but to have the logos of each team it just makes you feel like you're part of something and to me that's the biggest hurdle that any startup league has beyond sponsorship and media rights which is probably the biggest thing uh and then uh on field or on ice product and then this which is you have to make people feel like they're part of it. They're part of a movement. They're part of something they want to support and spend their money to help support. It's the difference between AEW wrestling then and AEW wrestling now. Where then it felt like you were part of a movement. Now it feels like you're you're watching warmed mm-hmm. over leftovers from the WWE from five years ago. You know what I'm saying? So like the the brand and logo thing to me was much more about like gearing it towards the fans that are going to be plunking down money for season tickets and, and giving them something to feel like they're a part of versus just having Toronto on a shirt.
1: And not ideal. Also not ideal. Our timing today. I do have to punt. I got Bill Guerin standing by here in a couple of moments. I love you, Greg. I love you. And the minute you're the general manager of the Minnesota wild, you can take up the full hour.
0: Oh my God. Bill Guerin. Watch your back. Merrick is coming for you with me. (laughs)
1: with Wish. Uh, Okay, thanks, pal. We'll talk in seven days. Bye.